possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Welcome to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. I'll be your host for this podcast series. I am very happy to welcome back for a third time, Frank Tavera, CEO of the Palace Theater. So welcome back to the Broadway Buzz. Thanks, Stu. I appreciate you um, putting up with me yet again, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. It's in my contract. I ha- every, few, <laughs> every few months, I have to do this. But- You're a smart man, smart man. Looking back, we started this, I was counting, 10 months ago. Mm-hmm. And back then, the landscape of theater of the country was so different than it is today. Back then, I guess I'm trying to remember, I didn't play back the show. Was it really still a mystery or did we have a pathway? Well, now we have a pathway. You have been corresponding with your patrons. There have been articles. But how about if you spend a few minutes telling the listeners exactly the policies, what you were looking for when they come to the theater. Absolutely. Uh, so much has changed, too, not since March 12, 2020, when we effectively went dark, but since the first we had our conversation, what we had hoped to be a reopening. And then subsequently thereafter, a couple months, I think we were a little bit more optimistic of our reopening when we announced our season. And now we're here at a different time and place as well, right? So although we were very hopeful of moving forward at 100% capacity, we're going to be opening up our building um, with a Bronx tail coming up very, very soon soon at, um, on Friday, October 1st. But the reality is we're opening up with restrictions. And these are restrictions that we did not anticipate, I believe, last time you and I spoke. We thought we'd be able to open up welcome patrons and perhaps have to wear masks um, in the building. But things have changed. And as we know, as the virus has moved, as the Delta variant has taken place, and it's kind of impacted the country, you know, we are um, New England, we're regional in, in this way, and we're very... Um, conservative in by nature. So by design, we have some stricter policies in place than we had originally anticipated last we spoke. So we're ready to reopen, but there are some restrictions. If you want me, I can go through them or unless you have questions to ask. Well, why don't you give us the the basics? I think a lot of the theaters now, I mean, I, I've been going to the theater and it seems like it's kind of standard, show your vaccination card and wear a mask mm-hmm. and have your ID ready. Absolutely. And, and then and we are following suit it, uh, just because we have seen this not only happen in New York and Broadway, um, really kind of being the first ones. And as we are a home for touring Broadway productions, as we've talked about before, we have to abide by those rules that are um, impacted and generated through um, the touring industry, which is really out of New York. So out of the safety precaution for not only the actors, out of the touring company, whether they're stagehands, musicians, et cetera, we need to abide by their rules. And their rules very are clear. I would say there's two sets of rules. Number one, for the patron. Patron expectation is that any patron walking through our door will either have to prove a negative COVID, um, that they are negative COVID, and or they've been vaccinated and have to wear a mask while seated in the theater. So either you're, you've, t- you've gotten your vaccination, which we encourage people to do, or if you chose choose not to, you can prove that you're negative by taking a, a test um, 72 hours prior. And regardless of that, once you've come in, you still have to wear a mask. And that is to protect the actors, the performers, and, and, and the patrons and people you are sitting right next to. So those are the strict rules. 
To the flip side of that, what we're also being dictated, mandated to do by many of the productions are to make sure that we have daily testing for any stagehands that are walking through our door in the back of the house. These stagehands are working one-on-one closely with the actors, whether it's a wardrobe mistress, a hair, um, someone doing wigs or costumes. So these individuals have to be tested every day, regardless of VAC status, to make sure that they are in fact negative but while they're performing because they're in close proximity to the actors and they do not in any way, shape or form infect the company, which could ultimately demolish criti- um, and cripple a tour after they leave our venue. So two rules, very restrictive, but all in an effort to get live theater back up in its place where it should be on the Palace Theater stage. Are these stagehands part of the touring company? Our stagehands are our local stagehands, which work in venues such as the Schubert in, um, in New Haven, um, the Bridgeport Arena, also Stanford Palace Theater, as well as our um, palace here. So our local stagehands are required to be rapid tested or proof daily that they're, while they're interacting with not only the actors who are touring, but also the stagehands that are touring with the company as well. So there's two sets of stagehands that come on a performance. Everybody needs to be daily tested to make sure there is no outbreak whatsoever. So it seems all theaters are doing the vaccination card, the mask, but not all of them are doing social distancing. So Mm -hmm. I've been to one theater and they've rearranged the whole theater. So there is social distancing. I was at a production at another theater company on Friday night and there was no social distancing. So what is what is the palace doing? Social distancing really is something that has kind of, I don't want to say moved to the wayside because we believe that, and this is not just us, but with the science, with the dicta- um, you know, um, directives from the CDC, et cetera, if we can clear that you have been vaccinated and or negative and you are wearing a mask, the ability to be next to someone more than less than six feet is okay. So we've kind of checked off all the boxes. Had we not done the vaccination expectation, had we not done the um, proof of negative COVID test and only required a mask, then you'd likely see social distancing being a requirement. Reality is, um, Stu, and if you've gone into theaters, both big and small, when you start implementing a social distancing model into a venue such as ours, or let's say even more so a smaller, more intimate space, I'm gonna pick on the Hartford stage, great venue to see a performance. If you do six feet social distancing, your 380 seat audience is now 12, right? You know, because of the way the audience is spaced out. Financially, it doesn't make sense. Therefore, by incorporating and mandating, and that's what it is, it's a mandate, the vaccination and or negative COVID plus the mask, we can eliminate the need for social distancing. We will do our best to speed up lines. We'll open our doors a half hour earlier than we traditionally do so people can enter quicker and sooner and get into their um, seat faster so they aren't queuing in line. We encourage people to show up, not just on time, but give yourselves 45 minutes, please, as opposed to just running in at the last minute. And we're also looking at opening you know, side doors to let um, exit happen faster as well. So all those things are put into place to kind of create the safest environment we can given the construct that we've been providing. And what are you hearing from patrons? Well, it, that's a mixed bag of nuts, <laughs> as you can imagine. We've had patrons who have been incredibly grateful and thankful, saying, I will come back only because you're implementing these policies. They want to see live theater. They want to be part of the action, but they also want to know that they're safe. So we have a, you know, a significant part of the audience who is very excited and responsive to that. We have other patrons who've said, 
this isn't, these aren't the conditions I purchased the tickets under, therefore I'd like a refund. I don't feel comfortable with having to either prove my vaccination because there's feel some personal mandates are being um, inflicted on them, understood. Uh, they don't feel comfortable with having to get a vaccination or a negative COVID test. It takes some time, it could be cumbersome, fully understand that. And until we get through this, um, Stu, until we get past uh, the, um, this kind of level of you know, requirement, uh, we're gonna see that kind of split in the audience. The goal is ultimately, as we believe as an institution, as my colleagues across the state, as we've seen on Broadway as well, the need is to open up the theaters. The need is to begin to present live performing arts the way it's supposed to be presented in a safe environment. Um, and until we get people in the building to say it was fine, it was acceptable, I had a wonderful time and I got home safely, they won't ever return. So we have to prove ourselves and these are the small steps we're taking to get there. What are you hearing from theater companies? I mean, in addition to here's the rules and regulations for us to, to actually come to your theater, but what are you hearing from the hinterlands before they actually arrive in Waterbury? They are experiencing ebbs and flows. I'm going to be very politically correct because depending where you are in the country on the tour, your rule, the rules and regulations are vastly different. And so in some markets, what we're finding is that the touring company, and this is based on my conversation with one of the agents on Friday, when they were in the Midwest, the company was mandating these restrictions, the venue were, was not, nor the patrons were going to comply, which really created a kind of an at odds situation because the company wants to perform, the venue isn't receptive to their policies. And so there has to be some mediation. There have been times when shows have been said, fine, we aren't performing, we're gonna walk away. Not good for the tour, not good for the market and the industry. So it's really been, it's been a challenge and it's going to continue to be a challenge for all venues, patrons and the art form, you know, I would say for another good year until we kind of get this under control. Do you think touring companies will be switching up their schedules and bypassing certain parts of the country until they get their act together? I will not be surprised if they had intended last year when they were rerouting It's basically that's what it's called when they move the shows across the country. You know, during the winter months, they were staying away from the northeast and the kind of northern states because it was cold and, um, you know, in flu, et cetera, et cetera. So they were going to be doing more shows down south where it's warmer. Unfortunately, down south where it's warmer, as we all know, is less likely to be following any of the current um, vaccination requirements are in place. So they're seeing themselves kind of sporadic. Um, Their routing schedule is a little bit more sporadic than it used to be. Carefully routed in the past, moving south, you know, east to west and then south to north. Now it's like they have to really find venues that can comply that fall within the, um, within the market range. So it's really been, it's one of those dominoes in the plan that, you know, once it, once it goes down, you'll see, you may see tours to shutter because they're unable to perform throughout the year because of touring, you know, capabilities of uh, other venues. Let's say a hypothetical that some of these tours being rerouted and opportunities pop up where shows that might not have been coming through Waterbury or coming through the Northeast. And all of a sudden you get a phone call, Frank, we have X and, you know, because of issues around the country, do you want a couple of days? Do you mm -hmm. want a week? Is, is that something that is realistic or is that probably not going to happen? It, it's very, it's very realistic. And I'll cite um, one real example. And then what I foresee to be probably what's going to happen down the road, right? So we'll do what's going to happen down the road, meaning in, in, uh, further down in time. 
depending how the process goes, depending how compliant, you know, you hate to use that word, but other venues are with, with these protocols, the agents and the producers may elect to forego certain cities that may otherwise not have um, complied with the rules, right? So all of a sudden you're in, I'm going to name a state, Arkansas, you chose not to comply. Guess what? You may not be getting the tour, which may create more um, inventory of programming for other markets that otherwise would not have gotten. So to your point, I would not be surprised if next season, because everyone's current calendar is jam-packed with all the make goods from the year prior that we've talked about before, I would not be surprised if next season, the 22-23 season, um, that you see some shifting where they're like, yeah, we're not going to be playing you because you didn't play nice in the sandbox when we needed you most. So that would not be a surprise to me at all. And then another point I wanted to make, which is in fact, it's a true scenario. We are teching the tour of a Christmas store in our building. That was not on our calendar as of a month and a half ago. They needed a venue that could meet the COVID standards. They needed a venue that was close to New York and that was an easy jump to get to Boston. So a Christmas story, the national production tour of a Christmas story will be teching its engagement at the Palace Theater Waterbury for 11 days at the end of November, going into December, putting on two performances here in our venue prior to it going to, the, um, to Boston for its national debut. That was not an option for us before. They had planned to perform someplace else and it was someplace in the Midwest, but because of what we're seeing, people responding to, they said, no, we're not going to take, we're not going to take that risk because that could, um, you know, cripple the tour. So they're going with a venue that they know is safe, that, that can get them from one jump to the other, but meet their standards. So that was a perfect example of something that happened due to COVID because of our ability to comply. Are those two performances going to be open to the public? Yes, they are. Yep. I believe we just announced them maybe this week. So yeah, so it's good. It's exciting. You know, if you're not going to comply, you got to answer to the consequences. Yeah, and if that means that your venue opens up and you get a national tour of a Christmas story, which I don't think that that is this it, the first national tour or it, it, because it's a, because it's a Christmas story and it goes out only for anywhere between six to I think it's six to eight weeks solid because it goes from um, November um, on through maybe just a little after January. It's a condensed tour. They really try to they try to regionalize. It. So. The original intent was for the show to play again in the Midwest for six to eight weeks because that didn't work out. Now it's playing Northeast and they were able to route it in our direction. So we had it here and I believe in 2008, it was a great show. I mean, if you love the movie, it's going to poke your eye out. It's a fantastic story done really well. And we were just happy to be able to bring it in, do the tech here, get some usage dates and then provide an audience um, for it in this marketplace and knowing that we can meet their standards. That's the most important part to them right now. Frank, let's uh, talk some more about this, but we are going to take a short break to uh, listen to our sponsor, Webster Bank, and our other sponsor. Oh, that's me. So we'll be back in just a minute. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones, 
whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love. Webster will help you take your next steps on your time. Welcome back to the Broadway Buzz. My name is Stuart Brown, the founder of SoundsOfBroadway.com, your online Broadway radio station. And on this episode, we are speaking with Frank Tavera, CEO of the Palace Theater, and getting some insight into the whole ramifications of dealing with live theater in today's world. I think that's interesting what we talked about before the break, where you said next season, because all these shows schedule so far in advance, Mm -hmm. but is this also going to potentially affect not only the Palace Theater, but some of the other presenting theaters in the state, or they might have those same opportunities? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are all playing nicely in the sandbox. We know we're all competing um, pretty much often enough for this, some of the same programming and titles. So it it really does. And I believe, Stu, you and I mentioned this or chatted about it before. It really does depend on so many factors, such as venue size, availability of calendar, willingness to, um, and what your market looks like. So each venue may have that same advantage um, or the opportunity to capitalize on something that might otherwise not have played them um, had we been in a traditional um, you know, programming year. And right now you have a little more strength behind you because due to COVID, you have put together or you are part of what is called the Connecticut Performing Arts Coalition or the six pack of presenting theaters in the state that are working together in presenting. In fact, the next presentation after Chaz Palmateri's one-man show of A Bronx Tale, you're bringing in Anastasia. Mm-hmm. And that is with the Schubert in New Haven. So I would I would imagine that, again, looking at next year, there could be strength in numbers because it's not just saying to these presenting companies, it's just Waterbury. It's like, no, it's the state of Connecticut or, you know, the population mm-hmm. of 70 percent of the Connecticut of, of the state. Absolutely. I think one of the a couple good things did come out of COVID. And one of them really is, and I think I may have spoke to this before as well, is the fact that we do have this coalition, right? So we have six different performing arts centers across the state, from Hartford, Stanford, Torrington, New London, New Haven, and, and, and Waterbury, all working collaboratively, not only to secure funding, because the arts are incredibly underfunded across the state, not just us, but the pr- producing theaters as well. So we're kind of advocating for increased funding for the arts, that's part of our platform. But the idea that we can work as a coalition to help promote each other's venues. We are launching a campaign that really is saying, you know, Broadway is back or our venues are back, come to see our theaters. Not just Waterbury's, but any theater, go to live theater, engage in it, get excited about returning to the theater. So we are working on that marketing campaign should be launching anytime now because many of our seasons are kicking off within the next week or so. And I think that's a great way to kind of really show solidarity uh, within the state. That being said, not only does it show sol- solidarity within the state and to our constituents, which we serve, meaning if you go to the Bushnell stew, I'm not going to be mad at you because you can go to the Bushnell, but you still have to come to the palace when there's something uh, you want to see or Schubert, et cetera. So we're happy to share audiences. But to the agents, to the producers that we're we're talking to, we can, to your point, say, you know what, I want this show, I'm willing to share it with my partner down in in Schubert, and we are willing to take a week of it so we can book it together, spread it throughout the state. We know we have the audiences to support it. It gives them strength because they have to travel less, right? Think about having to put on a four 
show truck, a four truck show, moving it from New Jersey to New York, as opposed to Waterbury to New Haven. 45 minutes, people, you can get your, you've saved travel time, you've saved um, fuel costs, all that stuff. There's economies of scale that go into that model. So we're gonna continue to pursue things like that because it makes sense, not only for the venues, makes sense for the producers, makes sense for the state as well, because you're gonna have patrons who can only go on one night and they're gonna come to Waterbury. They can only go on another night. They'll go to New Haven. No harm, no foul, better partnership, better relationship. And you see this partnership continuing once, let's say the world gets back to normal. We started it before. That's the interesting part. Schubert, um, you know, the Palace Theater in Schubert, New Haven, we did this prior to COVID kicking in. And we did it as a launch. The agents liked the idea because it made their routing that much easier. Both markets did um, fine with the show. And what we learned too is that we can actually get, um, maximize our advertising dollars by promoting both at once. I would liken it to, not to say this business is a circus, but back in the day when Ringling Brothers um, would promote there, it would be out there like, oh, it's going to be in Hartford this weekend, New Haven this weekend. They would do a bulk advertising because you had to choose when you were going to go. Why spend twice as much dollars to get that message out when people can pick and choose one way or the other? I think there's some efficiencies, some economies there. I was watching TV. It might have been last night. They had an advertisement for Anastasia mm-hmm. and it said, you know, coming to Waterbury's Palace Theater, blah, blah, blah coming to the Schubert. So yep. right there. And mm-hmm. you know, as someone who travels the state for seeing theater, I mean, I go all over. If you think of 45 minutes is not a long drive. No, so no. to give people that option, because if you're only playing, let's say three performances in Waterbury, oh, I'm busy that weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I'm not busy this weekend or those days. So it really does, I think, have a win-win for the theaters. And especially showing those producing companies when they're routing to say, this is great for mm-hmm. everything you just said. I mean, why would you want to sit in a bus for four hours when you could be there? I mean, before you even fall asleep, you know, you're unloading at your hotel. Exactly. And so I think they're, they're, we're, you know, we're going to continue to test it. The titles have to be right. Um, you know, the financial model has to be right. But I think when you look at it, you, you made an interesting point only because of the fact that what we are competing against day in and day out is not each other. We're competing with you as a consumer's time. If you have something else to do, you have a grandchild you're taking care of, you're going out to dinner with friends, you don't like to go out on a Saturday night because whatever, you know, we're competing with all those pieces. So if we can give you more variety or flexibility in being able to cater your schedule to that performance, why not? As opposed to saying, oh, it's only here one night and only seat at the palace because that's what works. If I can't make it Tuesday, I can't make it Tuesday. So I'll go Wednesday someplace else if necessary. So I think when we look at it from that perspective, it's a it, again, it's a win-win for us as well as a patron. Any scoops or any possibilities for the 22-23 season that you can share or? Nope. No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, that is not to say that conversations are not being had regarding 22-23 um, in, in very actively. And there is so much, I don't want to skepticism is the wrong word. There are so many moving pieces for 22-23. There's a lot of program in the pipeline, which we have talked about as well. With Broadway being closed for so long, there wasn't a pipeline. So now they have to build the pipeline for programming to not only get to Broadway, get you know that imprimatur of um, you know um, a Broadway production, then to go out on the road. So there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of interest in getting titles out. Now everyone's hesitancy really is, what will the market bear? 
And today in October, which we rolled into October, we hope is going to be vastly different than what next May looks like as far as people and their comfort level to return back to live theater. This weekend, Chaz Palmateri is coming with his one-man show. So it's mm-hmm. not the musical mm-hmm. Bronx Tale. This is the original. And if you go to the previous Broadway buzz, I had a, a nice conversation with mm-hmm. him. And, and I told him he is probably the best salesperson because I was getting excited talking to him because he was so excited about, about the show. What about the other shows that are coming in as far as any schedule updates or tweaks, or is it pretty much Bronx Tales coming in October 1-2, Anastasia, and what we have on our list, that is really what it's going to be. Knock on wood, so far for there has been no other blip and there's no been there's been no shift in calendar. And so again, I say that with my fingers crossed. I say, um, is a good Catholic play. I say a good novena before I go to bed every night, just because we don't know. Um, Stu, because the tour, many of the tours are starting out now. As a side note, my neighbor went to Boston to see a concert, not a theatrical experience. He drove up to Boston, got in a hotel room, he and his wife, walked over to the theater to find this sign in the door that said, due to COVID, one of the bandmates had COVID, show is canceled. He drove from Bristol to Boston, again, not a lifetime away, but, you know, two hour commitment. And that happened the night of the show. So do I anticipate any of that happening? I am hopeful that it doesn't. I will not be surprised if it does. I mean, that's that's the, the new world order we're in, unfortunately. So put, to your answer your question, no change in calendar as of today. If people have been in downtown Waterbury, there is <laughs> construction and there just happens to be construction all around the Palace Theater. So what are, what are you telling people? What can you tell people to avoid that, to make their trip to the theater a more pleasant one? Well, we like to make it as difficult as possible for anybody <laughs> to come to the theater. You got to jump through barriers. You got to cross the street. You got to show us your vaccination paperwork. We don't want this to be easy. God forbid, Stu. But no, so basically, basically we have a communication that has gone out to all the patrons who have purchased their tickets in advance to let them know that construction is, in fact, still taking place. That East Main Street, traditionally a two-direction um, road, is now one way for the short term, right, for the production of Bronx Tale. It'll be going one way. They'll be rerouting to the um, parking garage. We provided them information. We will have um, information outside on the street as well as people are driving by saying, where do I park? We'll have paperwork that says here, go around the block. This is where you need to park. As I said before, Stu, we are encouraging everybody to take, give themselves as much human time as humanly possible to get to the theater. We'll open our doors early just to get you in because we can only anticipate confusion, congestion, and, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, um, hesitancy walking in, but it's not the best case scenario, but it's going to be fine. We're going to pull it off. And then by the time we get to Anastasia, two and a half, three weeks later, the traffic direction changes. So when you just got used to going down East May Street one way, you got to go down the other way next time. So it's going to be fluid. November, they say early November, this will be completed, um, at least for back to normal traffic pattern. And we will inform patrons as they go on a regular basis, as much as we can to inform them well enough in advance. We talked about the patrons. We talked about the shows. What about the staff at the palace? What, what are they feeling? Are they thoroughly excited? 
Are they hesitant? Where, where are they coming from in regards to the show, the first show this Friday night? We didn't realize how enjoyable not having to do shows was <laughs> until, until now. No, it really, we it, you think about it for the last month, year, year and a half, we were, re, we were rescheduling programming, you know, doing all that stuff, doing all the important things. As I say, moving the deck chairs on the Titanic, um, you know, that was all important stuff. Now it's D-Day. And with these, um, you know, with the implementation of uh, policy, with um, welcoming of staff, there is, we're at a new fever pitch, which is exciting because that's what we're supposed to be at. We're supposed to be welcoming patrons. We had our volunteer party, um, a welcome back party for our volunteers last Thursday. They could not have been more excited about the fact that not only do we have a little party for them, but that they were coming back to the theater because they miss being in the space Within, with the energy. We talked about the restrictions. We talked that there may be some challenges within the space. They're like, all we wanna do is get back. So from bottom up, from volunteer to paid staff, everyone's really excited because that's what our mission is. Our mission is to put on live entertainment, entertain a crowd, welcome people into this classic building, show off this space and provide quality entertainment. It'll be good to get back into that. I'm looking forward to Friday night when you know I have to put a suit on, go figure. You know, As I was going to say, are, are you going to be up on the stage before giving a, a real heartfelt welcome back to the theater? I am. I am. And, and again, I, I, I do that often enough. Um, more Now more than ever, they I think people need to see that um, we are pleased to those, for those who've returned to us. We want to make them feel comfortable. We know this isn't ideal. You know, the thing I keep on saying is we may not agree on the policies in place. We may not agree on the way this, things have been managed. But what, what we can all agree on, Stu, and you'll hear this from the stage, is the fact that live theater needs to return. And we need to commit ourselves to kind of getting over this hump. So it's, it's, it's going to be, I don't want to say emotional, but it's going to be special, I think, to reopen the venue on the heels of such a dark time and just have people back. It's going to be really exciting. Frank, thank you for taking time out of your schedule, because like I said, theater opens Friday. I'm sure you have a million details to go over for taking time to let our audience know exactly what's going on, what's going to be down the future. And hopefully a lot of people will be at the performances for A Bronx Tale. And uh, that'll just kick things off for the year. I appreciate it, Stu. It's my, first of all, it's my pleasure to be here, number one. What we've learned over the last year and a half is we all need to pivot. We need, need to learn how to react and respond to whatever's kind of um, coming our way. We will continue to do so. We're going to ask our patrons to do the same, but we appreciate every step that everyone's taking along with us and to have them in the building, to be able to kind of greet them, smile at them, even with a mask on, is going to be pretty powerful on Friday night. So I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Waterbury Palace.